Hey, it's Greg Brady. Thanks for checking out the Toronto Today podcast. Well, we get into exactly what's still going on in Ottawa and kind of what didn't go on in Toronto, except for Saturday afternoon. The protests continue in Ottawa. Some are describing it as an occupation now. They're into 10 days now. It's hard to describe it as an ongoing protest, but we do discuss. Dr. Isaac Bogush on the show, same with Joe Cressy, who's the chair of the Toronto Board of Health and City Council, on what he thought uh, Saturday was and was not. And we talk about vaccines and continuing to boost the vulnerable population and kids vaccines, whether that campaign has stalled slightly or not. Erica Eiffel on the show as well from the Bad and Bitchy podcast graces us with her presence. It's all on the Toronto Today podcast and it starts now. I get uh, I get some play every time the uh, liberal MP, who uh, I think is, is quite uh, remarkable, he's a great orator. I, I think we want to hear more from him. Greg Fergus, Be- because that's my middle name is Fergus. I know it's a strange one, but I am half Irish. I'm half Irish, half English. And uh, I- the Irish is on my grandfather's side, and he was a uh, Fergus Brady. My father, who turns, by the way, 78 tomorrow. That's not a milestone, but uh, it will- every birthday matters. All birthdays matter. Hashtag. Um he turns 78 tomorrow, and uh, and his name is Brian Fergus Brady. So I'm uh, the Greg Fergus. I hope to have Greg Fergus on the show, and then Greg Fergus and Greg Fergus can chat together. Something? Maybe? Maybe a slower day in the summer. Let's see what happens. If it ever gets slow again, we'll do those things. Uh, Canada beat Russia overnight last night, as Dave mentioned, 6-1 in women's hockey. Uh, the big one, it doesn't mean that much in the group, really. Uh, tonight is Canada and the United States. But let me start here with what's happening in Ottawa and Toronto. And I start somewhat anecdotally from a a good friend of mine who lives in Ottawa, and he messaged me on Saturday night and said, well, A, how are you holding up? Um, I've been single-dadding it for uh, about eight days now. Everything seems uh, relatively good. I think think they're still in the house. And um, and he says, what was Toronto like? What was the mood now that things ended up spreading? Because um, we had spoke earlier in the week with Ottawa kind of picking up steam and the protesters uh, and the truckers digging in. And everybody wants to parse language these days. Everybody doesn't like a word. Boy, did we not go through this with with Omicron? Stop saying it's mild. People are dying. Well, I, I know, but but the flu kills people, too, before. And if I had a mild case of the flu, no, you you can't say that. OK, it's less severe. No, you can't say that either. So words, um, words are trickier than ever, but you can't worry. You're not going to a hundred people out of a hundred aren't going to approve your words. So, um, let's call them protesters. Let's call them that. And, uh, and his perspective in Ottawa was that people generally blame the protesters for, well, we, we had a peaceful city and the cops basically invited them in. He's not wrong about that. If you spotted this over the weekend, this part is true. Uh, the Ottawa police kind of said yesterday, we didn't we didn't know um, that the protesters would would stay past the weekend. Um, OK, in December, like that's like now two months ago, seven, eight weeks ago, they they said that they would do that. Yeah, it's it's interesting. They they published on uh, CanadaUnity.com. Again, we can debate the nefariousness of the organizers of the protest. I don't think we can debate that. uh the vast majority of people out on the streets in Toronto uh, don't share their views and aren't looking to burn down the city, but they have things to say. You've got bad people, good people, good people. Where else do, is there anywhere else where that isn't the case? Anywhere where we can just find just just good Samaritans, wonderful souls. Anywhere we can find nothing but nefarious evil. Actually, you probably could if you looked hard enough. But the protesters said, "This is what we're going to do," and the Ottawa police said they. They had no indication. The indication is the website, that it's their job, as it is with uh, with anybody that's involved in counterterrorism or if it involved your city that you might check out. So they seem really disorganized. So um, the Ottawa police have made a absolute mess of this. So has the Ottawa mayor. And he says to me, my friend does, what do you think about Toronto? And I said, police didn't buckle. They prepped. They were ready. Full credit. To the city of Toronto, John Tory, city council, uh, the police chief, James Raymer. We can talk about policing. We can talk about the importance of it. I was very critical in the summer 
of the um, voraciousness with which they cleared out homeless encampments. It's not a solution to stay in the park uh, for months on end, even in good weather. It isn't. But is there a better way? And uh, not one act of violence or close to violence documented over the weekend. I realize some of the language isn't great. I realize that that uh, that that's something that isn't awesome. But um, this is where we get stuck with words all the time. And you hear the phrase words are violence. No, oh, man, violence is violence. OK, I don't like a lot of the words. Some of the words uh, are quite repugnant and reprehensible and offensive. I'm with you. Violence is violence. Ask people overseas. Ask people in the Middle East. Ask people who in in China. Ask people what violence really is. You didn't see it on the streets of Toronto on Saturday. So let's cut that out. But it was basically like the cities aren't even on the same planet, let alone the same province. Um, I thought John Tory struck the right tones on Friday and Saturday. I can't say there's zero trouble, but there's a lot less than there was in Ottawa. I mean, it was crickets in the morning that, uh, uh, you know, on Sunday in Toronto. You'd, I had people driving down Toronto texting me going, not while driving, of course, saying you'd never know there was a protest yesterday. You would never know. And even after the Raptors had their parade in the summer, June 2019, you knew that they were there a couple days earlier. So it was pretty quiet on the streets of Toronto. Uh, let's contrast that, that with here's audio from uh, around 11 o'clock in the busiest section of downtown Ottawa. Now, I get it. Oh, some people live in the suburbs and they come into work. Great. People still live in downtown cores. Let's not be silly here. Here's what it sounded like around 11 o'clock in downtown Ottawa. Really enjoy the siren at the end. I got to say, it, does, it kicks in about 14 seconds. It's like a great guitar solo, that siren right there. Um, you might have thought, oh, wait, wait a minute. I heard, I heard that there was some kind of a olive branch from the truckers to the city. Like the city had worked really hard to navigate and negotiate a settlement where on Sunday morning between 8 a.m. and 1 p.m., there'd be no honking of the horns and there'd be no noise. This is from uh, 10 a.m., on Sunday morning in downtown Ottawa. Have a listen. Yeah. I don't I can't I can never get those early 90s songs right. I like them all. I love uh I love CC Pennison's Finally. I'm a big fan of Show Me Love by Robin S. I think that's more and more by Captain Hollywood, but that also could be Mr. Vane. It could be by, we don't know. I know what I want and I, and I want it now. It could be that either way, things were problematic in the city of Ottawa. I don't know how this works. I'm not sure whether the mayor directs the police force or not, but the police said at the outset, their job was to protect the protesters right to protest full stop. Congratulations. This is what you have now nine days in. And when you turn the corner and go in the other direction, which they tried to do last night, giving out tickets and potentially towing rigs, wow, you got a big problem on your hand. And uh, I will talk later in the morning about the no comment from federal politicians. I don't understand it. Uh, the prime minister took the day off yesterday. He has a scheduled day off today in his itinerary. I, I find it utterly indefensible. I can't defend it. I, I, I get that there's Trudeau honks out there that will. I know there's people that can stand him. I know there's people that will will not criticize him no matter what. I'm looking at, at you know, some of my media brethren at other organizations. I don't know how you do this. I don't know what's in it for you at the end of the day that that he disappears for 48 hours and it's just fine. It wouldn't happen in any other G7 or probably G20 country. We do get that, right? And let me go here on the mayor of uh, of the city of Ottawa, who yesterday declared a uh, a state of emergency. Well, I, I declared it a state of emergency on Wednesday. Many of you probably described it as a state of emergency last Tuesday. The mayor was the last to declare it a state of emergency, but he gets to do it officially, and we don't necessarily. Um, this person, Jim Watson, should be kind of put out of office and stripped of his duties. I'm almost not kidding. Like there's something malfeasant or utterly ignorant about his, his initial approach or reaction. If this were a movie, 
If it were, and I know it's not, Ottawa the movie, we'd find out the bad guys had his family kidnapped. We would find that out. Or we'd find out he was paid $5 million to be this passive and indifferent. I know he hasn't. I know it's not a movie. I don't doubt that maybe he went in with good intentions towards this, but we have a lot of questions. And the city of Ottawa does not want this man to govern the rest of 2022. I know that. I mean, I can't I can't crowdsource that enough. Let me move this here. By the way, if you've got comments on this, 289-975-1640. Um, I want to play this clip from uh, Dr. Zeke Emanuel. We played it on Monday, on Friday. All this Joe Rogan Spotify stuff has flared up as well over the weekend with his um, use of the N-word in the past. It's reprehensible. It's terrible. Um, we'll talk about the context level of it and what Spotify does now. Um, but the concept of Joe Rogan last week was all about misinformation. Well, on MSNBC, uh, Dr. Zeke Emanuel um, made a, a, a comment uh, and said this on Friday, or rather Thursday, and we played it on Friday's show. Here's what he said. Parents have to be more willing. I think they hear some of these rare side effects and they think, think they're very common. Uh, if with uh, the, the Omicron variant, you know, kids are either going to get the vaccine or they're likely to get a serious condition of Omicron. Having Omicron with the vaccine is almost invariably going to be better. Okay. Um, that wasn't accurate. And at the minimum, uh, he came on or went out yesterday on Twitter and said, I was wrong about this. I ended up getting it wrong. And I think that was important to do to lay that out there. And uh, and it, it just was something that doesn't make sense. No, they won't get a serious case of Omicron. So I thought that was important to clarify his clarification because it's a start. It's what we need to do much, much more of. I don't see it as much as I'd like to see it. Uh, when you get something wrong, especially with COVID, I think these are things that end up having to be talked about. His tweet yesterday, I misspoke on live TV. Unvaxxed kids aren't likely to get a serious condition of Omicron, but they're more likely to contract a case of Omicron. Yeah, I know. It's everywhere, and it was everywhere all through Christmas and all through December. Um, to be, I think many parents saw it just whisk right through their kids and shrug their shoulders. They had it. It's gone. To be clear, parents should protect their kids against COVID-19 and get them vaccinated. Well, I agree with that. Uh, that if it's in your best interest, absolutely, you should do that. I, I did it as a parent. All I can say is I think the vast majority of parents feel the same way. Now, there are distinctions between whether we go to two to three beyond in terms of shots. Of course, there are uh, at the end of the given day. A couple ones from Bill Maher I wanted to get to because he uh, he's not a parent uh, and has talked about kids before on the show. He brought up something that I think we all have brought up. And Dr. Isaac Bogus is on the show in the eight o'clock hour. And he and I have talked about HIV and AIDS and we did on world AIDS day on December 1st. That's a day that always jumps out to me as, as a pretty important day. Cause I grew up right as a teenager, um, a university student in a, uh, HIV, uh, conscience, conscious and savvy era. Um, he made this point about misinformation that was never properly corrected by the medical community about HIV and AIDS. Here's what he said Friday night. By 1987, CDC officials pretty much knew how HIV was spreading and who was in danger. Now, of course, there's no moral dimension to this, despite what Pat Robertson used to say. Gay sex is just as loving, natural, and salutary as the other kind, but science can be arbitrary. And instead of being precise and focusing on who should be protected, we launched a fear campaign about how AIDS was going to explode into the heterosexual community. Oprah Winfrey summed up what people were hearing when she said, research studies now project one in five heterosexuals could be dead from AIDS by 1990. But that didn't happen. And the upshot of bad information was that in the late 1980s, low-risk Americans were swamping testing facilities and diverting our attention and energy away from the truly at-risk. True. It's incredibly true. I lived through it and you were conscious of it. Maybe that helped us make better, more conservative, you will, small C decisions about our sexual partners. Maybe that did. Maybe uh, it, it maybe it lowered the uh, uh, propensity of teenage pregnancy. Maybe it lowered the propensity of other STDs. But I lived through university and I lived with enough roommates and I was one of those roommates that we talked about it. Um, I went to I went for two tests myself at a certain point in time just to be certain, just to be conscious of it, just to put that fear aside. Um, 
it never really got corrected in the mainstream media. But HIV and AIDS stuck, unfortunately and tragically, to the same risk groups that were there at the beginning. And we needed to provide help for those risk groups. And we didn't do it. We spread ourselves too thin. You can ask yourself if we've done this now with COVID to some extent. We can ask ourselves that honest question. Uh, our next guest, uh, member of the Toronto uh, Board of Health and, of course, Toronto City Councillor Joe Cressy joins us on Toronto Today. It's great to have you on. We haven't talked in a while. hope everything's going well. Craig, everything's going well. Good to chat again. It, it, you were out there um, in the cold on uh, on Saturday. And, uh, and again, I think people from Ottawa are saying to people like you, like me, that called Toronto home, um, what went so well? Did any benefit come, Joe, from seeing some of the things that happened in Ottawa and saying, well, we've got a week to better prepare our city for, uh, for what may happen? Well, let me tell you how we approached it, Greg, to start is... We first and foremost recognize that in in a city in our country, but certainly in our city of Toronto, people have a fundamental right to protest uh, on any side, on any issue. That is a fundamental right uh, inherent to a democratic society. And so in our preparations for this weekend, working with Toronto police and city officials and, uh, and myself working with other downtown councillors, uh, we, we looked at this from a couple core principles. People can protest. That is a right. There will be and shall not be any hate or hate symbols, which we saw in Ottawa. Uh, we wanted to at all times ensure that there was no interference with hospitals and healthcare operations. People have a right to be able to access healthcare uh, when they need it. And we wanted to ensure residents and, sa- and businesses' safety. And I think, by and large, that was accomplished collectively by those who protested and those who enforced the law this weekend in Toronto. And, and of course, we learned from Ottawa. Uh, just as we learn on a continuous basis. Uh, But I'll tell you, we have protests every single weekend in our city, and we are constantly seeking to uphold those principles. It looked like a lot of the work Friday night. I was thinking about it. It's minus 20 out, but streets were closed, and um, Hospital Row, as we call it, seemed uh, well fortified. I think, if anything, I talked to healthcare workers just like you do, and they said that made them feel a lot better, that the city was really on top of it. And uh, and and I think it's it's fair to criticize where it's necessary, credit where it's necessary. And I think the latter the latter comes into play here. I think the city deserves a lot of credit for reassuring healthcare workers that they had their backs and had their backs early on this weekend. Well, and listen, a lot of credit should be afforded to, to Toronto Police Services, who worked closely with city officials. This was a collaborative endeavor with our emergency operations center at the city. Uh, but uh, this was this was a very Protests, listen, I've, Greg, I've participated in a million protests. I've marched down University Avenue many times. This was a potentially complicated one. You had a, uh, the Freedom Convoy, as it's called, which was coming into Toronto from eight different starting locations in vehicles. And, you know, without proper organization, even with good intentions from the protesters, without good organization on the part of our police and city officials, that could have resulted in obstruction to hospitals and hospital row that could have had a more significant impact on residents quality of life and businesses and so i think the organization went in with sound and again i want to come back to this people do have a right to protest i mean i may disagree with a lot of what was said at the freedom convoy protest in fact i do disagree with a lot of it but that doesn't take away their right to be able to express it and our responsibility as a city this is where we come in to ensure that right is upheld but that it doesn't cross the line and interfere with other people's health, like Hospital Row. Joe Cressy is our guest on Toronto Today on 640 Toronto. He's a city councillor and chair of the Board of Health. A couple more quick ones on the protest. Did you have conversations, um, interactions with any members of, uh, of, I suppose I'd call the convoy? The, way I, the reason I ask is I think we'd look at some of the organizers and say, those are bad people. Those are nefarious things they believe in. Uh, but the majority of people that I saw up and down Blur Street, and I, I I, had a friend out there who was protesting. He's against the federal mandates. He marched in the anti-black racism protests in Toronto in June of 2020. So uh, maybe he just likes to get out and get some fresh air. Either way, it's it's. I think there were people, good people out there that were willing to engage and converse, but to your point, wanted to do it the right way. 
Yeah, well, listen, Greg, I live right downtown. I mean, this was, <laughs> I, 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 I live in the heart of where the protests were taking place. And so I absolutely, not only did I saw, but I had the chance to speak with a number of people who came down into my constituency, into my ward, to voice their right to protest. I would say, listen, I mean, one of the fundamental good things about our city and society is that people have that right to express different opinions and they have the right to put it on a placard and go out and yell as loudly as they want in the streets in a peaceful manner. And, and listen, that's a good thing. Um, there were, listen, I, I fundamentally believe in the science of vaccinations and in how critical they have been to protecting our population's health. There are those who disagree and they want to express that opinion. And, and we disagreed politely on the streets. Um, but that's OK. Uh, I will tell you, you know, there was um, I've been made aware of one instance where somebody had a placard which was not acceptable. It was an anti-Semitic placard. And here's what I think speaks to Toronto. People, protesters on both sides, those from the Freedom Convoy and those protesting the Freedom Convoy, took that sign away. And I think that's where I was proud to see our city come together, is whether you're with the Freedom Convoy or not, the minute a hate placard showed up with anti-Semitic messages, both sides took it down. 100%. Um, vaccinations, um, your last uh, notation on Friday uh, is that we're close to 91% over age 12 with one vaccine. Um, I'm worried about where we're at with boosters. I know you and I talked about it when it opened up, when we went from 70 plus before Christmas time to 18 plus, I was worried that vulnerable people say between 50 and 70 would be a little left out of the mix. Now I think we've got the supply. I can't emphasize enough and, and I hope you can as well. The critical importance of, of people getting their third shot who are more vulnerable to hospitalization. Well, what we found, Omicron is highly transmissible. And, but while it is highly transmissible, vaccinations in that third dose are proving to be exceptionally well effective at preventing against severe harms, critically preventing against hospitalization and ICU. And so, you know, just as the arrival of Omicron felt like a punch to the gut for all of us, we'd come so far and then this arrives. The, the good news is we have the tools and the science and vaccines to work. So here's where we are today. In the city of Toronto, 60% of those eligible for third dose boosters have now received one. And I'll tell you where we are today. It's not dissimilar from where we were last summer in our vaccination campaign, where we've reached 60%. The next 30% are, that's, you know, it's, this is where you go to the ground game, where we're literally going door by door and building by building. This weekend, I was in four different vaccination clinics located in buildings in Toronto community housing facilities because we're going to bring vaccinations to where those people are, especially those who are older and more vulnerable and need that third dose. So, Greg, all that is to say, I am optimistic. We have the Toronto model here to reach everyone in our city with vaccinations. And just like we did with first doses, we're on the road to doing that with third. Yeah, it, it's just so critical for uh, um, that's going to have a lot more influence. I know hospitalizations are dropping. ICUs went under 500 in the province for the first time in, in what feels like ages, at least five or six weeks. I'm curious where the where the five to 11 um, numbers are. Th there was bound to be a bit of a wall we'd hit. We hit it in the summer with um, with 12 to 17 and, and 18 plus. Um, where do those numbers stand um, for five to 11? What are we at about two months now that that uh, that kids have been eligible? So vaccinations, the vaccine for 5 to 11-year-old was approved 10 and a half weeks ago. And in 10 and a half weeks, so we've administered 158,000 doses. That's about 54% of 5 to 11-year-olds. And so that's a strong start, but we know we have more work to do. Um, let me contrast it. So when we approved vaccines for 12 to 17-year-olds, it took 24 weeks to reach 90%. For those first doses and after 10 and a half weeks with 5 to 11 year olds we're at 54 percent that's a good start it puts us in a position to be able to continue but this is the hyper local phase i'll tell you in the last two weeks we held 90 vaccine clinics in schools where we bring it into the school to make it as convenient as possible and in the next two weeks we're hosting another 57 clinics in schools and this is the hyper local not the similar from bringing third doses into buildings, 
bringing vaccine clinics directly into schools, this is, what's, this is the approach that's going to get us to that higher vaccination rate we want to achieve. Joe Cressy is uh, the chair of the Board of Health uh, joining us um, on 640 Toronto. What do, what do business owners say in, uh, in your ward or that you talk about when it comes to mandates? I know it's, it's you know, guided by the province. I know that. But at the same time, I'm sure there's business owners saying, you know, either I'm firm on them, I want them, I, I hope they stay in place. And there must be business owners that say, I, I don't know where we go with them right now. I don't know whether it should be two doses, three doses, where we go by the fall. What are the conversations like that you have with with people just looking for normalcy again um, in small business? We, our our city's so wonderful with its diversity, with restaurants and galleries and getting back to normal. What do people say? Well, I'll tell you, I, I represent downtown Toronto, and I'm lucky to have, you know, the financial district and the entertainment district and Chinatown and Kensington and, a, you know, a wide variety of businesses. Here's what most businesses, and for that matter, most galleries and institutions are telling me, we just want to be open and to stay open. You know, it kind of reminds me to where we were in October and November and early December, where you know, before Omicron arrived, and it kind of felt like we were we were winning. We were about to get our city back and put this pandemic behind us. Um, and the mandates worked really well. Businesses were open. A formula was working with people arriving. And that's, frankly, when I speak to businesses and business owners, the conversation is far less to do with um, is the mandate and the vaccine passport going to stay in, but rather, how can you assure me that I'm going to be able to stay open and remain open? And I think this is, we, we are on the cusp here of, we have the Omicron peak has passed. Uh, we are into the cautious reopening phase. And I think my objective, certainly from Toronto's Board of Health, is to ensure that that cautious reopen, reopening continues so that we don't go backwards. And, and when I speak to businesses, they say, whatever it takes to allow us to stay open, that's what matters. And frankly, that's, I want to be able to keep going out and, and have a drink myself without it having to close. Well, and you're going to have more time to do that in a year. Um, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> you, you might even be able to have two. You might even be able to have two some night, Joe. I got to be honest. I mean, maybe that's uh, we'll double down, as it were. We'll double fist it. As it were, thank you very much for making the time uh, for our audience today. And, and I think it was, uh, I, I think it showed we can do things right in this city, uh, despite some of the criticism. I think this was a good weekend for Torontonians in general to see see how we were and how we all responded. Thank you very much for making the time, Greg. Anytime and good on Toronto this weekend. I couldn't agree more. Joe Cressy, our guest. This nasty song. This is Janet Jackson. Our next guest. Why? Why the bad and bitchy podcast? I don't know. Why not just like. <laughs> Erica Eiffel joins us right now. Why not call your podcast like Nasty Girls, like Vanity? Like, why not? It was, it was, it was already taken in. And have you ever seen Janet Jackson live? Yes, 1990 on the Rhythm Nation tour. But that's oh, the last time. That was my first concert. That was my, ex oh my gosh. Janet Jackson live, I, I, I have amazing. yet to see anybody that compares. Obviously, Michael would have compared, but I never saw Michael, so... You know, yeah. well, I watched the. Whole, have you seen, have you finished the documentary yet? I know we're going to get to your city, your city being under occupation in a second, but this is important. <laughs> um, <laughs> have you see? Have you finished it? I have not. It's, it's so good. It's now, Crave. is that true? Uh, is who? I hear it's on Crave. It's on Crave. You can get it on Crave. Um, I, I know you got pro. I I don't know how to defend Justin Timberlake. I just. I, she's cool with him. She's like, she's okay. If We're she's not. okay, why can't we all be okay? No. Why can't we? No. Why? No. Because there's still a little Britney situation, too. He's. Oh, a, my goodness. What? Yes. Okay. So oh, we found a bad boyfriend. Um, um, a heterosexual male in his early 20s was a bad boyfriend. Are you serious? That happens? You, you know what? Here's the problem with Justin Timberlake. He uses women and steps over women to get to his own fame. That's my problem with him. Okay, next question. Just <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute. Does Jennifer Aniston? Does Madonna do that with men? I love Madonna. You're not going to get me to knock Madge. Madonna's been like, no, well. God. You know, I have, I have questions about her sometimes. Okay, I can't. <laughs> oh, have me on your bad and bitchy podcast to talk about Madonna. Here's here's the here's the whitest guy on the planet next to Larry Bird, and he's got opinions about Madonna. I want on. 
Okay. However, um, your city, what, what's, what does your city feel like on this Monday morning? Tell me that. Bring me the straight goods here. I haven't left my house in like three days. Okay. So I live, I live just west of downtown. Um, luckily, I can't hear the horns anymore. I, I, I don't know. I think they've moved on or, or some of them have moved on. I don't know. But, um, yeah, like Ottawa, the capital city of Canada, its downtown is under occupation by a bunch of white supremacists. Let that sink in. I, 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 I'm not going to deny it. It's, it's absolutely an occupation right now. And yeah. the organizers of the convoy, the organizers of it, had a set um, agenda and set goals that are not that are not democratic. They are not pro science. This is they they were they are not there. The organizers are not there simply to debate whether or not truckers should have a vaccine mandate. No, got it, hundred percent. No, exactly. And I would just like to say, I hate to say it, but I've been saying that this, like, how do we come back from this? After all, this is I don't even know how long this is going to you know how long this is going to last. But after all this ends, we can't go back on what we know now. And what we know is that it was quite easy for them to do so. What we know is that we've been abandoned by authority and there's a dereliction of leadership. We know that. We also know that it seems like the police aren't really, I, I, I don't know what the ROI on increased police investment is at this point. Yeah. Somebody's going to have to make a strong business case for that because I don't see it. There's a fiscal argument for defunding the police, by the way, and I think they just made it. Um, also, where's Trudeau? I'm not saying that Trudeau should be uh, talking to organizers who threaten his life. I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm saying that can't he not, I don't know, address the citizens of Ottawa, address the nation about all of these sort of trucker convoy protests that are happening across the country. Where is he? He's been absent. And I find that there's been an absence of leadership. Did I talk about this on this show? I think I have that. There's been an absence of leadership. If you look at as soon as Omicron started coming in and all their big plans went to hell and they had no plan B, they just kind of left. And now that nobody knows what, what to do with these, these trucker protests, we're apparently building, like, makeshift shanty towns downtown <laughs> and carrying fuel. And I don't know. Does that seem like a bomb threat to you? I don't know. Maybe 100% it does. And saunas? What are we doing? Like, we're exactly. building saunas by the National Arts Center, that beautiful building? What? Exactly. And the thing, the thing about it is, is that... Um, the whole internet knew that they were coming. Where was the planning? On top of that, don't we give, give a whole bunch of money to CSIS in places like that? Canadian Securities Establishment? I think that's abroad, though. Um, where's the intelligence? Why don't we have it? Why is all the intelligence being done by antihate.ca? Why? Like, where is that? Why did they let these people come in throw out the welcome mat for them. And where, where was the street blockage? Like blockades. I didn't see that from the Ottawa police. Where, you, where you got Erica, you got, you got nothing that we got in Toronto on Friday night where they said, this is where we're protecting that we're putting in concrete blocks. This is where you can't get down. And I hate to say it. Toronto's protest quote unquote went well, as well yeah, as a protest could go. And, and Ottawa has been the antithesis. of Exactly. And, this is all international news. So now everybody knows how easy it is to breach the nation's capital. How do we come back from this? With what we know now, how do we go forward? What is the demand from the public in Ottawa and, and people like yourself um, to, the, to the police chief and the mayor? How do they govern? How do they, how, do they, how do they do their jobs going forward? How can they? How can they? How can they have the trust of the citizens? How can they have faith in their nothing? Listen, nothing undermines democracy like inaction and like and um, and um, and a lack of accountability. Okay, part of democracy is that accountability piece, and there is none. 
all of them, all of our leaders have abandoned us. I feel like we're just here alone. And that's been, that's become a pattern for leadership in this country as I referred to COVID. And that's troubling to me. Then why do we have them? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's a it's a really fair question. Eric Eiffel, by the way, our guest on Toronto today. You know you know Ottawa really, really well. And and uh what I heard over the weekend from people who also know it well is it's not an excuse. It's it's the policing's been pathetic, law enforcement's been pathetic, but how much Ottawa's got a weird jurisdiction, right? You said it. You've got oh, RCMP yeah. there, NCC there. It's a it's a jurisdictional mixed bag. It, was it always that way? And and did that make Ottawa susceptible to this? You know, that's a good question because Ottawa has, um, whenever anything goes wrong, the first instinct is in Ottawa is to blame jurisdiction, okay? So the NCC is federal. It has um, jurisdiction over things like, um, I would say, Rideau Hall, um, probably Wellington, part of Wellington Street, I believe. Uh, because that's where all the parliament buildings are, and those are federal jurisdictions. Then you have the city, <clears throat> which has its own police force, which is kind of south of Wellington, I would say. And then you have, of course, provincial, and it gets mucky because over the river, you have a different province. So it is a jurisdictional nightmare where every jurisdiction blames the other. And I swear it's like a game to them now. <laughs> like... It's, it's where past the buck goes to hell. I mean, nobody takes responsibility for anything and they always have a loophole to blame the other jurisdiction. So nothing gets done. It is literally a bureaucratic nightmare. Nothing gets done. So I expect the same here in this situation. You've also got, I, I think it's an unfortunate situation that your mayor, Mayor Watson, isn't running again. And we know politicians will go to the wall to get elected again, to not be accountable. It, it Like of all sizes, shapes, colors, male, female, they will do whatever they can to run the clock out, right? Run that ball up the middle, waste some Listen, clock to get to the next election. But, but Jim doesn't have to do that here. Jim, you know why Jim doesn't have to do that? Because of, because of how well he handled the LRT situation. You know why else Jim doesn't have to do that? Because he handled COVID so well. Jim is terrible. Jim has never met a crisis he hasn't run from. So, you know what? You know, you know what else is, is terrible is that the chair of the P Ottawa Police Services Board that, that granted the Ottawa Police a $13.25 million increase last year during a pandemic, yeah, she's running for mayor. Okay? I mean, this is, this is a police board that's given a blank check to the Ottawa Police has granted them every wish they've wanted, and this is what they end up with. They need to take some responsibility, too, because they're supposed to be serving an oversight function, and they've failed that. Uh, Eric Eiffel joining us. You need to subscribe to the Bad and Bitchy podcast. You get this and more. Do you want to... Um, um, podcast I, out <laughs> where we talk well, about this in all its entirety. <laughs> I bet you do, and, and, yeah. and, uh, and then some... You want it? You want a couple minutes on uh, on Joe Rogan? He apologized sure. on the weekend. Racial slurs sure. on his podcast. Um, hey, what? What is? Where, where does this go? I like. Is Joe Rogan just one big long controversy? I feel like I'm li I've been living in this Joe Rogan hell for years. <laughs> like, if if he's not like him and Jordan Peterson sitting there talking about black people was a little bit too much for me. And I'm like, yay, happy Black History Month. Anyway, um, I don't know. Like, how many, how much further can Joe Rogan go at this point? Like, what, what left does he have to do? Who left does he have to insult? Or, 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 yeah, I'm sure there's like a few more slurs that he could use. Like, I, I just, I don't understand. Listen, I feel as though Joe Rogan can say whatever the hell he wants and people can react the way they want. That's freedom. How about that? If people want to take, if people want to dump Spotify, if people want to take their music off Spotify, I saw India Ari and her, yeah. um, yeah. her, um, Instagram of, post, right? For her. 
thread story or something like that, that she was talking about it. And even just hearing the N-word all those times in her video, I got heart palpitations. I was like, I got a physical reaction. And so I'm just like, who is listening to Joe Rogan? And on the other hand, I mean, Joe Rogan can, you know, buy a domain and, you know, pump out his, his podcast through that. You know, everybody has a right to whatever. But also, he doesn't have a right to $100 million from Spotify. And that's the part that I feel like people are getting. He doesn't have a right to that money in the sense that he doesn't have a right to be platformed in that way. That's not a right. No, and you would think Spotify would have a moral turpitude clause that they could, you know, enact, right? And uh, and and then he doesn't just get a check and gets to walk to the next endeavor. Yeah. I don't know where it's going to go for him. I I, I do think uh, there's a orchestrated campaign against him. I do think that, but it doesn't oh, yeah. justify it. Doesn't justify it. Doesn't justify Spotify keeping him if they decide not to. Well, I don't know. I think I think Spotify. I think Spotify is trying to appease the masses. And I don't, I, I, I just think he's too much of a big draw for them to drop. I'm like, they don't, ha- let's not pretend that Spotify has morals. You know what I mean? <laughs> They're a company. They, you have, we, like, in order for them to drop him, you have to make it more costly for them to keep him. And that's just the way things are. I, 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 I don't know who, I can't pretend CNN has morals anymore. I can't, I don't know who has, I, I'm looking all over the place for morals and trying to find it. Um, no, oh, no, oh, don't look to TV for that. My goodness. CNN? <laughs> CNN. Oh, did you see, what's his name? Jeff Zucker? Yes. Sorry. Yes. Uh-huh. I was like, whoa, yes. Let's let's do news now. <laughs> well, and, and the reason the reason that came out was because Chris Cuomo was trying to get his money out of CNN, and he said, um, oh, I know a few things about the inner workings of our office here. Maybe you want to pay me. And that's where that came from. So <laughs> this is delicious. This I'm is uh, it's 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 as yes, this is uh, as good a breakfast as it gets of uh, of of gossip. It's not even gossip or innuendo. It's all true. No. And what's going on? Um, with the queen? Who? The queen. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I don't. You know what? Let's let's stop there because that was. Let's a stop high. there. I like that. I I always like when we stop and and uh, both of us can uh, can sleep well at night without getting uh, fifty emails each. I think that's a good that's a good thing. Thank you for okay. coming on. I love our chats. We'll talk next week. Okay. Hopefully, check her we'll out. Get your occupation. Bye. Uh, always uh, eager to have our next guest on. Uh, Doctor Isaac Bogus joins us right now, infectious diseases physician. It's great to have you. It's been a while since we talked. What was your observation of? Uh, of the weekend, obviously, healthcare workers rallied. Healthcare workers wanted to feel protected. I think we had a relatively thousands of people. I'd say ratio-wise, we had a relatively incident-free uh, protest, dueling protests, as a matter of fact. Sometimes we got to pat ourselves on the back and say that's how it's supposed to be done. Yeah, I, I, I agree completely. Right, everyone's allowed to peacefully protest and peacefully assemble. It doesn't matter what you're protesting or what you're assembling for. We're very lucky to live in Canada and and have the ability to do so. Just stating the obvious, bigotry, anti-Semitism, anti-science, uh, there's no place for any of that in Canada. You know, we didn't see a ton of that, but this, there, there were still, you know, uh, I wasn't there, but I did see some uh, small elements of that. Uh, but but in general, I think this was a vastly different uh, experience in Toronto than, uh, than what they've had in Ottawa. And, you know, it, who knows what the future has, but, uh, but yeah, it, you know, it looked like this was just, I'm not going to say a non-event, but uh, you know, it certainly wasn't the event that that they've had in Ottawa. No, not not in the least. Um, I want to double back to something um, you you were uh, getting on about a week ago, and it's it's parents missing uh, vaccines, be it for measles for other things. This is really problematic. I I looked at the numbers that you tweeted out, and I'm like, gosh, this is uh, the, the reason we've been able to stifle a lot of uh, vaccines, whether it's MMR. Mm-hmm whether it's chicken pox, whether it's other things, is because we get our kids vaccinated for them. It's a problem that either there's hesitancy now with all vaccines, which is ridiculous, or it's uh, it's just getting access to get inside doctor's offices and get those shots. Yeah, I think, as you point out, it's, it's all of the above. Uh, and this isn't a Canadian issue. This is a global issue as well. Uh, certainly in, in uh, parts of the world that aren't as fortunate as Canada, 
COVID has really uh, sadly ground a lot of these public health initiatives to a halt because they've really focused the limited resources on you know the, the major public health crisis du jour, which is which is COVID, uh, and and you know your tuberculosis programs, your HIV programs, your measles vaccine programs, uh, sadly fell by the wayside. And uh, there's a lot of catch up to do. And of course, here in Canada, yeah, I think we we unfortunately have we'll, we'll still see the, it to the same not to the same extent, but we will see some of these issues. And you know, I think have, people have had some difficulty during various times of the pandemic accessing primary care. Um, and, and the other important point that you raise that I, I completely agree with is I think the level of trust in medicine, public health, science uh, is, is not as robust as it was pre-pandemic. And, and uh, you know, we could probably talk for days as to reasons why that's the case. We can talk about misinformation and disinformation amplified online and how that impacts it. But at the end of the day, at the sharp end of the stick, um, we, we, we need to rebuild a lot of trust in, uh, in medicine, science, and public health. I tell you what I was so pleased in is that Thursday night there was a clip circulating of, uh, of Dr. Zeke Emanuel, who's just been there, done that, done everything. And it's live. Like, you've done so much live radio uh, and live television in the last two years, and he happened to misspeak. And uh, and, and he, he owned it on Saturday. He said, um, because he his quote was, uh, on, you're either going to get vaccinated or you're going to get a serious condition of Omicron. And that was the phrase. And he walked it back and he said, mm-hmm. not what I meant to say on Vax kids aren't likely to get a serious condition, but they're more likely to contract a case. Yes, of course, exactly. And I just, God, Dr. Bogosh, we need so much more of that. Walk back what you don't yeah. get right, whether you're in the public oh, yeah. eye or not. Just be like, I mean, basic principles. Like, Just be honest. Just discuss what we know and discuss uncertainty with what we don't know, um, really, as much as we can, is put curb the ideology uh, and, and talk facts. And I think you build a lot of trust that way. And of course, listen, we're all human. We all make mistakes, uh, you know, especially, uh, you know, when you're doing a live interview, either on TV or on radio, you know, sometimes you, you just get it wrong. You've got a limited time. Uh, you're trying to answer the question in real time. Most of the time, we don't know what we're going to be asked. And so you're just trying to at least sound coherent and get it right at the same time, which is you know, kind of hard, I'd say, at times. And yeah, we all make mistakes and it's totally it's not acceptable. It's the right thing to do to publicly acknowledge it, walk it back and, and, and really aim for accuracy as much as we can. Schools have been open three weeks. I talked to Mar- uh, Marit Stiles, the NDP education critic on Friday, and I documented this. I said hospitalizations have dropped. ICU numbers have dropped. It's it's hard to compare, isn't it, to a pre-vaccination universe that we all lived in to compare, well, our, our communities, the, the, the source of transmission, is it schools, is it obviously, um, as some would say, a combination of both. But these are good numbers. These should instill confidence in parents. And we can argue about whether the province should have done more in December to prep for Omicron. OK, I'm with you there. But what we've seen in three weeks is schools are safer than some had forecast. Yeah, I agree uh, completely. Having said that. I still feel free to laugh me off this call. I still feel like I'm, I'm walking on eggshells, right? Like mm-hmm. so far, so good arrows in the right direction in terms of dropping uh, case counts or sorry, pardon me, dropping hospitalizations in, in the community. A lot of the models pointing in the right direction uh, based on, you know, lower wastewater signals, lowered modeled case counts, like things really seem to be heading in the right direction and it's three weeks after kids went back to school yes of course kids can get this infection yes of course kids can get and transmit infections in schools yes there have been transmissions in schools over the last three weeks but you know if the question is has this impacted the healthcare system in ontario the answer at least up until this point is no it, 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 it hasn't. It hasn't. Things are getting better in the healthcare system in Ontario from ICU capacity to hospitalizations. And, and that's obviously a positive sign. Having said that, like, I think it's, it's you know, we've got to be humble. I think it's premature to wave the you know, mission accomplished flag just yet. Let's just see how things go over the next couple of weeks. But yeah, it's also fair to acknowledge that we're headed clearly in the right direction. And that's that's great news. That's all we can ask. Yeah, no victory laps yet. Uh, I know we're both tight for time. Thanks for making it for our audience today, as you always do. Really appreciate it. Oh, anytime. Great to chat. Have a good one. Dr. Isaac Bogush uh, joining us. The amount of people I've heard from from Ottawa watching what happened in Toronto on Saturday and going, 
So that's how it's done. I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> sometimes the Leafs beat the Senators in the playoffs, and sometimes we're more ready for it. It's, it's a shame that the, the situations weren't reversed because I'm not sure that the, the circumstances wouldn't be reversed. But Ottawa did not get out in front of this, and I'm not sure how in front of it they are right now. We had um, our next guest on last week uh, talking about his own unsettling experience um and many people in ottawa have had remarkably unsettling experience but this one this one was a physical one tim abray has been vocal about this wrote a op-ed in the uh, ottawa citizen as well tim it's great to have you back on thanks very much for making the time it's my pleasure to be here tell me uh your thoughts watching yeah give me that your your thoughts on watching things in toronto going it looks well organized. They were they were ready. It's easy now to look in the rearview mirror and go, well, we can't let what happened in Ottawa happen in Toronto. But at the end of the day, um, there was foresight and planning. And and I mean, they told everybody these organizers of the protest told everybody what they would do in Ottawa and where they would go. And it still seems like uh, the administration and the police weren't ready. Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, <laughs> That is the line that's being said right now is, you know, we, we couldn't see this coming. But the truth is that there were dozens and dozens of people telling the city that this is exactly what was going to happen. Um, there are an awful lot of people in this town who are familiar with uh, these groups. You've got a cross section of security experts, academics, um, uh, disinformation and intel experts who have been talking about this for quite some time and had warned the city ahead of time that this was going to happen. So I, I am not on uh, team excuse. I think that uh, the city just found itself completely unprepared for what uh, what unfolded. Tim, the friends of mine that I have in uh, in Ottawa are saying, wait a minute, like yesterday, you want me to be impressed that they're now giving out parking tickets? Um, yeah, exactly. Not a lot of people in Ottawa are terribly impressed by that after nine or ten days, are they? No, not not in the slightest. Not in the slightest. Uh, it, it seemed pretty obvious from the start that they needed to be enforcing the bylaws at a bare minimum. Uh, and while I wouldn't recommend sending bylaw officers in to do that, you can certainly have police officers uh, enforcing elements of the Highway Traffic Act. And I mean, something as simple as that that sends a message that, uh, that they got to play by the rule book that Ottawa, you know, Ottawa sees lots of protests every year. Like you, you don't live here without seeing a ton of protests. And uh, as I've said in some of the things I've written, for me, that's a feature of the place. It's not a bug. Um, but there are some pretty clear rules in uh, representative democracies around the way you go about these things. And this one broke just about every rule in the book, and it has left this city feeling just completely wrung out. Uh, I don't know a person that isn't, uh, isn't sleeping with one eye open these days. Tim Abrae is our guest on Toronto Today on 640 Toronto. I was just about to ask if... if things have improved in, say, the last 48 hours in terms of a mindset. But, you know, not unlike the pandemic, some things can open up and, and can improve. But it's the it's the pure raw fatigue of it all um, that Ottawa residents have been through. How are most Ottawa residents feeling compared to, say, Friday? I think they're exhausted. I think there's a, a little bit of an air of hope uh, as of last night, because last night was the first real indication we got that police uh, and the city were going to be serious about trying to move this thing. Um, but I think it's premature to say that anybody is feeling like we're on the backside of it. I think that we had an entrenched group that stayed all week last week, uh, hardened the positions, brought in more supplies, built structures for the weekend uh, festivities. Um, I, I think it is much too premature to say what's going to happen. I mean, they basically all they've done is start chipping away at the edges of this, taking away some of their fuel, um, trying to confine them into a slightly smaller footprint in the downtown. But we're, we're still a ways off from uh, having this thing swept in, in the history books. I think you're, you're absolutely right about that. And the, the, the more someone digs in and entrenches, the harder it is to, to pull them out. I don't think this will, this will end uh, without more incidents of, uh, of confrontation, if you will, than we've seen the mayor and the yeah. police chief. Where do they go? How how do they maintain um, a a position of respect and authority to put to be blunt going forward? Well, I think they've lost it for the vast majority of Ottawa residents to this point. Uh, I think that the only thing that's going to speak to Ottawa residents is action. 
Um, and last night uh, was a good example of that, that because we're seeing some, some determination to enforce some rules, some determination to limit their ability to, to stay, um, I think that that's, that's, that's a positive step. But we're so far down the credibility scale that I think it's going to take a lot more than that. I think this thing is going to need to be dealt with and done before people are even really willing to have that conversation seriously. I mean, I've got yeah, who are sleeping with like their, their doors barricaded because they're concerned about what's going to happen. I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it one bit. I got 40 seconds here. Our Ottawa residents asking where um, the prime minister is as well. He has a day off today. Um, he had a yeah. day off yesterday. There's nothing on his itinerary, and we haven't heard from him since Friday. Yeah, they're asking that question constantly. I don't think anybody's asking him to negotiate, but what they are asking him to do is provide leadership and to speak out and provide some reassurance to the people of Ottawa who've been uh, absolutely trodden down by this for the last eight days. Tim Abray joining us from Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Thank you for being a leader on this, and thank you for making time for our show uh, a second time. I'm, uh, you know, I I know that's not why you're doing it, but uh, but your voice matters, and I appreciate you coming on the show. I appreciate the time. Joining us right now is Dr. Eric Cam, economics professor from X University. Uh, great to have you in. I know you were uh, on with uh, the inimitable Roy Green across the Chorus Radio Network uh, this weekend, um, talking about the protest, the economic impact uh, whatsoever, um, or uh, and whatnot, I should say. Um, give me your your quick thoughts on uh, on the contrast that I was talking about in the six o'clock hour, uh, Eric, between Ottawa and Toronto. Toronto just seemed ready for this. Well, you know, it's one of the themes since the beginning of this pandemic that I've been going on about, which of course is, I say it all the time, it's it's leadership. It is, it is taking your direction from the top and having it filter down. And I think that what you've seen, I mean, I, as I told Roy yesterday, I think that the protests themselves were somewhat inevitable. And that doesn't put me on the side of pro or anti-vax or pro or anti-trucker. Everyone knows that I've had three needles. I have, I have a fully vaccinated household. I just, I think that these uprisings, for lack of a better word, were kind of inevitable and caused by a complete lack of leadership and direction from the top. And then on a micro level, you're going to see the difference between John Tory and Jim Watson and what happens when one is left completely uh, unaware. It seems that Ottawa didn't have a plan and you're seeing that go through. And then John Tory, you know, as much as some people are critical of him, and I'm often critical critical of him depending on the issue, Toronto just seemed to have this plan. Now, luckily for Toronto, we had the Ottawa roadmap of what not to do. But nonetheless, we had a we had a plan, we implemented it, and everything kind of went according to the script as opposed to Ottawa which went, you know, went to hell pretty quickly because again, there was nobody there, there was no direction. Uh, and there was nobody speaking from the, the part of the provincial or the municipal government. And there you go. You know, I think two things about what you said. And I, I think it's really insightful. One. Yeah, we, we've got it's right there in front of us um, staring at us. So it's not unlike, you know, when the safest place to the safest time to fly in the United States was in 2001, uh, right around September 20th, right around when pl planes got back in the air. That was the safest time to fly. The easiest time to prepare for civil disobedience is after it's happened in in our capital city and, you know, one of the other province's big cities. I also think we've done this before in Toronto and people didn't necessarily like it. But when the G20 was here uh, in, in summer of 2010, my recollection is they, they moved the entire Blue Jays series. And you know why I remember this? Because Roy Halladay was supposed to return as a member of the Phillies. And, and the Jays and the city said, we can't have it here that weekend. We, we can't even, we're, let's play the games in Philadelphia. They played three fewer home games that year. Bottom lining it, no matter what the controversy was surrounding that and the police and the kettling and whatnot, there was a plan in place. And if you want to argue that the plan was executed too voraciously, okay, we can have that discussion. But at least there was a plan, and Ottawa didn't have one. You know what? One of my intellectual heroes when it came to running a university was ex-university's former president. His name is Sheldon Levy, and he's one of the smartest people I've ever met. And when I became an administrator for four years, I met with him. I sat down with him in his office and I said, just give me any piece of advice because I've never run anything. I've never been in charge of anything. I'm, I'm the fourth most important person in my house. I mean, right. how do you manage people? How do you manage an office and how do you hope to make change? 
And Sheldon told me something I'll never forget. He said, have a plan, implement it. He said, the worst you can do is get it wrong. That's okay. He said, people crave leadership. They need to have some direction. And I think so much now in the last 24, 25, 26 months, we're seeing what happens when there is leadership, when there is direction, and when that leadership is just a void. And we seem to be living Groundhog Day. It happens over and over again. And so I look in Ottawa and I feel bad for my friends in Ottawa, but I yeah. say unresponsive leader, no direction, no roadmap, no hope. And that's what my friends in Ottawa are telling me is, 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 is going down much like the X's and O's from an offensive coordinator. There is nothing to follow. And that's exactly what they're getting in return. Eric Cam is joining us on Toronto today on 640 Toronto. Um, the uh, estimate from Mayor Watson was 800K per day uh, to handle the protests and to handle and, and pay for extra policing and pay. You know, I don't know how that gets split up as a piece of pie. But now, if that's the case, if that's the case, we're coming on eight, nine million dollars now, aren't we? Um, who ends up paying the bill for this in your estimation? Well, that's an excellent question. We don't really know the answer because this country doesn't seem to have a prime minister. I mean, I know we have one in theory and, and he is somewhere today. Maybe he's at, you know, a, a recreational facility enjoying himself. But um, there doesn't nobody has stood up and said, we will we will take the cost of this or 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 we're going to uh, uh, re reimburse the businesses that are closed and the people that can't open up their stores. I mean, I know I sound like a broken record or a skipping CD, but where's the leadership? Who stands up in front of a microphone and says, this is our responsibility. We drop the ball, but we're going to make this right to the people of this city. And you know, as well as I do, it's not there. Now, in theory, it'll be shared by the federal and the provincial government, but who knows? Because nobody stood up and said, we're we're taking the we're responsible for this and we are not going to let you down. And, and that just hasn't happened. And it's no wonder that people in Ottawa uh, feel like they've they've been left hung out to dry because they have. Yeah. I mean, we talk about we talk about covid and, and recovering and some people moving faster than others in terms of wanting to, you know, get back to a semblance of normalcy and others are going to struggle. Others are going to have um, fears and phobias and anxieties and, and believe it, uh, you know, believe me, I, I see them projected every damn day on, uh, on social media because everybody feels a need to share everything. Wonderful. But that said, um, when I think about the, uh, recovery from this particular situation, I think it's going to take a long time politically as well. And there's no, I, I miss all, all I can do is say, I'm such a fan of, of, of the gray fleshy area in between black and white. I'm a fan of, of balance and nuance and this, this, <laughs> this, um, development and this, uh, week and a half of protests is nothing. If not gray matter, there's bad people, there's good people. There's people that are anti-vax. There's people that are anti-mandate. There's people that have had three shots and they'll get more and more and more, but they're remarkably frustrated with the prime minister. Is there any other way to see it other than the prime minister vastly underestimated and maybe he doesn't care just how many Canadians are upset and want some answers and want some conversation about this? No, I don't think there's any other way to look at it. I mean, he considers himself to be it's really funny. He considers himself often to be a great communicator and in touch with the population. And when he was running for prime minister, I heard him talk a lot about how he's going to sit down with this group and sit down with that group and you will be heard and you will have a voice. And yet when we really need a prime minister to come and stand in front of a microphone and unify and calm, he's nowhere to be found. And, you know, you can't blame Mr. Polyev for looking at this like uh, like like a falcon circling a carcass. Because the Conservative Party of Canada, who are unless they are completely asleep and they're not, realize that even Trudeau insiders, people that are loyal to the man, are looking around going, what on God's green earth is going on? I mean, the Liberal Party is vulnerable in a, in a really odd way that it's been in a long time. Because as you've said on your show, there's people that will, of course, live and die with the Liberal Party, and they'll vote for them no matter what. And then there's the people that that would never vote Liberal, you know, unless they had a gun to their head. And even then it, it would be, uh, you know, 50-50. But it's, I always call it that mushy middle. 
And the mushy middle is looking right now. And I'm proud of Canadians for being critical and having a critical lens and looking at their leaders and the prime minister saying, wait a minute, this is not what he campaigned four years ago. This was not the rhetoric I heard before yeah. the last election. And uh, like I say, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of, of Canadians for standing up and going, I think we deserve a little bit more in terms of the people that we elect to office, that we pay in office to, uh, to help with the decision making, because right now there, there just is no decision making. And I know that I'm going to be about as popular as, you know, Whoopi Goldberg at a Passover Seder right now, but I just, I have no use for this prime minister. And this is why I have no use for him. It seems to me from the beginning of his, of his term, and of course, from the beginning of the pandemic, you can criticize the Dr. David Williams and this person and that person, but at least they're out front in front of a microphone, giving their story, giving some sort of plan, giving an update. And, you know, where is he? Where is the prime minister? Where's the plan? Where's the update? He's not there. It's a void. We're getting nothing. And I hope that Canadians remember that on Election Day. Um, give me I, I know you heard me on with uh, Dr. Neil Orlovsky last week, um, and I know these are issues you're passionate about. What, what was your response to uh, Whoopi Goldberg's comments? Um, a couple bungled apologies, but also I, I don't think you are a uh, purveyor of the quote unquote cancel culture. Um, it, it, were you surprised by the two weeks? Would you have have seen it a different way if you were uh, her boss and not the fourth most important person in your household, but maybe you ran the view? What would you have done? I'd have let her go. I would have let her go from ABC because people have been let go for less. And what bothers me the most but about that's this, not always I, right. The, the, some of those people getting let go, that hasn't always been the right call. You're right. But that's the precedent that's set and you get to play by the rules that the game, you know, the game is given. And what bothers me the most about what Whoopi Goldberg did, the comments themselves were reprehensible. I mean, how can you actually sit there and say the Holocaust wasn't about race because everybody knows that what the Germans were trying to do was create a perfect race and eliminate one race in the way to get there. But let's not go down that road. I hated the doubling down when she went on Stephen Colbert and other yeah. outlets and gave the most lighthearted half-assed apology I've ever heard in my life that amounted to nothing more than if I'm if I'm wrong, I apologize, but I'm not sure I'm wrong. So, you know, that and it was sort of like, hey, yet. if people are upset, I guess I won't talk about it anymore. Or you could use this as a teachable moment and recognize there's a way to get educated here like we all do sometimes. Well, much like the prime minister, you know, had she come out and, and looked even for the cameras come out, be contrite, be, be sad, and say, I made a drastic error, and I'm getting educated, and I'm talking to people. I wouldn't have, I would not be calling for it to be gone from ABC. It was going on ABC and CBS and other outlets. And as I say, she doubled down. That wasn't an apology. That, that was effectively, oh, I'm out in front of this. Don't, don't be, you know, I'm not hiding in my basement. But I'm not going to say I'm sorry or apologize yet mm. because I'm still not 100% sure what I did was wrong. And if, you know, and if, if, if that's not wrong, Lord, yeah. I don't know what we can say. I mean, the, the world isn't um, the world isn't serious and the, you can't just say anything. Right. ABC is not serious XM. And I don't know how they kept her. I'm sorry. It's not cancel culture. It's taking a person that's damaging to our brand and getting her the hell off the air. It's consequence culture and private businesses have every right to do that. Uh, if indeed, they say fit. Uh, I got to leave it there. Dr. Eric Cam, X University. I love our conversations. You want to treat talk show hosts like Miami Dolphins head coaches. I get it. But that's another whole kettle of fish. That we'll Here we go. Everybody we'll better for next week. We got Mike McDaniel and there's and I'm telling you next year playoffs playoffs. Oh, like Jim yeah. Morris said, stay healthy, Greg. Well, I'm kind of hoping they're three and 14 and they uh, and they get a better uh, draft pick. But anyway, you know, you and I could differ on that and talk about it next fall. Thanks for coming on today. Stay healthy. Thanks very much for checking out the Toronto Today podcast. We're back with a live show on Tuesday, February the 8th. We're glad you were able to check us out today. Feel free to subscribe, rate our podcast and do share this with others. We appreciate it. Have a great day.